Imagine finding yourself in debt and on top of that, not making enough income to pay the debt off nor sustain yourself on a month to month basis. This is what our next guest, Kara Perez, found herself in this situation and she's going to share with us what she did and more. Need a judgment-free zone when it comes to your financial life? Bienvenida to the Her Dinero Matters podcast, a bilingual podcast for today's Latina who typically thinks English but feels her Latina culture through and through. I am your host, Jen Hempel, and each week we have down-to-earth money conversations from people in La Comunidad Latina that will leave you with more confidence and inspiration to help you take control of your money. Lista? Let's do it. Hola, how is it going? It's your host, Jen Hempill, and today I've got a fantastic guest for you. Kara Perez is the founder of Bravely Go, a financial education company. Bravely focuses on bringing actionable and accessible financial education to people via pop-up events and an online community. Kara has been featured in Forbes, Glamour, ABC Nightline News, and US News and World Report as a financial expert. She lives in Austin, Texas. In this episode, you're going to learn why she calls the summer of 2014 the summer of crying in cars, as well as the different themes of what was a financial priority amongst her parents, which is really interesting, especially for us with parents of different cultural backgrounds, as well as her thoughts behind the racial wealth gap. This is jam-packed. It's a good one. So keep on listening. So lista, you ready? Vamos a conocer this reina of her money. Let's go meet this queen of her money. Bienvenida, Kara. I am excited to have you here. You were going to be on the reina panel, but you know what? You're here. It's you and I, and I can't wait to dive in to today's conversation with you. Thank you so much for having me. And just so everyone knows, Jen has been super patient with my (laughs) technological difficulties. So thank you. Oh, no problem. Now let's start with your money story and learning about what you saw, what you heard, experienced when it comes to money. So take us back in time to your first money memory and what that looks like. Yeah. So I grew up on the East Coast. I now live in Austin, Texas, and I grew up in a single parent household. My parents divorced when I was two. Um, My dad's from Dominican Republic. My mom's a white lady. And after they got divorced, we didn't have a lot of money. So my earliest money memory is us walking around the grocery store and me wanting to get like brand name cereal and my mom saying, no, put that back. And just a lot of incidences like that, you know, no, we can't have that. No, we can't do that. That's not for us because money was really tight for the first 12, 15 years of my life. And now, you know, my mom's very stable, which is great, but we were on food stamps for six years and money was just very clearly like a stressful, hard thing that wasn't for us. So that's my background with money. That's how I grew up. And I started working when I was 14, but you know, you make $8 an hour, you make seven fifteen an hour. I did never really had any money and I worked all through college and I had summer internships and jobs, but wasn't able to really hold on to money really until I was like 28 is when I started to hold on to money. <laughs> um, 
But I had my quarter life crisis when I was 26. And that's when I realized, hey, being a waitress, which is what I was, or a caterer actually, doesn't pay very well. I have a bunch of student loan debt and I don't know anything about money. And it's been hard my whole life. How do I change this? And so that was my really like aha moment. Right. So then once you had that aha moment, so this was about 25 years of age or that was yeah, this 25, the 20th. 26. Okay. okay. So what, what happened next? So I always like to say summer of 2014 is my summer of crying in cars. <laughs> like, I would get in my 2009 Kia Rio and just cry about how broke I was and how much debt I had and how bad money made me feel. So they basically spent the summer feeling like crap about money and then realized, okay, I need to learn. I need education. I need tools. So I Googled how to pay off student loans faster. So I graduated college with $25,302 in student loan debt. And that's not an insane amount of debt. I really want to acknowledge that people have way more. But my first three years out of college, I never made more than $18,000 a year. So I didn't have a lot to work with. But I'm totally self-taught. I read all these personal finance blogs and books and listened to podcasts. And I paid off my last $18,000 in student loans in just 10 months working five different side hustles and using debt payoff strategies and really maximizing my payments. And I blogged about it the whole time. And that's kind of how I became the personal finance expert that I am today. Awesome. So basically, you had the aha moment, and you literally got to work. So it was the focus, the drive, and taking upon yourself to learn some things. It wasn't like you did you have a support system around you that kind of like go Kara or maybe, you know, a cheerleaders? What, what, what did that look like around you? That's such a good question. Yes. And no, all my friends were really supportive. So when I wanted to not go out to get drinks and instead, you know, hang at home, my friends were really like, yeah, I know you're trying to pay off that debt. That's great. But I didn't have a support system in the way that some people, you know, they're like, I'm going to move back home or I'm going to ask my parents for loans, like, nothing like that. But certainly I was really committed myself and I talked about it all the time. I really talked about what I was learning about, what I was doing. And I lived with three friends who came from very high income households and who did not have student loans, but the rest of my friends had debt. So it was a very common thing. And when I'd say, you know, I'm trying to make a bigger payment this month they would get it. And no one wanted to be the reason that I couldn't do that. You know, they wanted to see me shine. So that was really amazing. Awesome. So you paid off your debt. But let's actually, I wanted to take a step back. So when you were growing up, you mentioned your parents were divorced, money was was a source of stress. And basically, you just heard a lot of we, we can't get this when you were at the grocery store. But was there any other money conversations that you recalled, whether that you observed or that they had with you? Very definitely. So like I said, my mom's white. And I think it's really important to discuss race and money because it is very money is very different <laughs> for people of different skin colors. And so my mom's family was definitely way more financially stable than my dad's family. You know, my dad's family immigrated here and they their financial challenges were like, how do we open a bank account? Whereas my mom's family was more like, how do we get more rental properties? You know, how can we grow what we already have? So my mom's dad, my grandfather used to talk to me a lot about the importance of saving money. And so that didn't come from my mom at all, but I was very close with him. And he really imprinted upon me, have a savings account, save as much as you can. It's good to have money. 
And so that was always very clear to me. I've always been a good saver, but my challenge really was earning. I didn't have, I didn't make a lot of money. So what I was able to save was just so tiny, (laughs) but I would say, yeah, that those were kind of the dual messages I got. You know, we don't have a lot of money, but you should hold on to as much as you can. Right. And it's interesting the the parallels that I see in between you and I just because in reverse, my dad is white. My mom is Colombian. I was born in Colombia and just seeing and, and I have had conversations with them in terms of their money stories, right? And my dad was similar to your mom and, and what your grandfather talked to you about was big about the saving. And that was something that my dad instilled in me. And then for my mom, it was more, and I don't know if you saw this on your dad's side, but it was more about setting those roots, aka mean a house, like having that home was really essential. And so it's interesting just kind of seeing some of the parallels. Now, what you mentioned as well, bringing race into the conversation, what other things in terms of race and money do you feel are important to note? Ooh, that's a, a great question. So many things. I think it's really important to not play dumb about it. And, you know, we know there's a racial wealth gap. We know that women of color earn less than white women. And I think there's so much power in acknowledging that and saying, okay, this is the situation we have. How can we change it? How can we make it more fair? And how can we achieve true equity? So, And that happens in a lot of small ways. I know that, for example, my cousins on my dad's side of the family, you know, their parents aren't really having conversations around investing with them. They're having more conversations around saving and going to college and figuring out kind of that type of finance, but not so much you should open an IRA and you should know how much you can contribute, things like that. This longer term thinking, it's not really happening. And so I think that's a huge a huge part of this conversation, those conversations are able to be had in households that have had access to money and institutional power for a longer amount of time than people who are newer to whether it's the country or to finance on this level. So everything from that to just, you know, a lot of personal finance podcasts or bloggers don't acknowledge the racial wealth gap and Mm -hmm. they're just like, well, everyone should be able to do X, Y, and Z things. And we need to recognize like renting out your home is a common piece of personal finance advice, right? It's like, if you have an extra bedroom, just rent it out. But a lot of families of color live in intergenerational housing. You know, that extra bedroom is for abuela, right? (laughs) (laughs) For So that's not really an applicable piece of advice. And I'm not saying you can't give that advice, but if, if that doesn't apply to half of your audience, come up with a piece of advice that does apply, you know, mm-hmm. or help mm-hmm. them see other ways. <sighs> yeah. So yeah, there's definitely a lot because I also wonder, and I haven't done the research behind it, but I presume because when I start questioning, so why is it that in Latinos and other races, I mean, I can't say all other races, but it seems to be more the ones of, I don't know if I should say of color, because that might not be the right per- terminology, but I'm thinking Hispanics, and black primarily, when I think when I question in terms of why, for example, you mentioned your dad was more wanting to learn about opening a bank account that wasn't was really isn't focused, uh, like his side of the family on the longer term wealth. 
Whereas maybe on your mom's side, it was about the longer term wealth. So when I question why is it in the other cultures, it, 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 this conversation isn't happening? Is it because maybe the countries, because I mean, the United States is just so advanced in so many ways. Is it because they're just slowly catching up? I, I, I always question. And again, I haven't done the research. So it's just, I'm speaking out loud. Yeah. And I think it's a good thought. I, I haven't, I've done some research. And so, yeah, I think it's less that the U S is advanced and more so it's different. There's just a different banking system here. Mm -hmm. We have different Mm -hmm. tools here. We have different credit cards. So whether you're from Dominican Republic or Colombia, or you're from England, you know, you're just going to have to learn a new thing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so that's, that's just step one versus if your parents are from here and are born here, you know, the system. And all the way up into if you already own a primary residence, right, you own your own home, the next step for that, if you're interested in real estate, is getting a rental property. But if you don't already own your first home, that's the step you're trying to take. So it's just people in different places as well. And there are plenty of immigrants, too, that come here with a ton of money. I mean, mm-hmm. like, I don't mean to say all immigrants are, are poor because that's not the case at all. And it wasn't even specifically the case with my family, but it was just, again, we have to learn this curve. And now we're moving everything. We're putting our kids in school. So money gets funneled in a bunch of different directions rather than just towards wealth building venues. Mm -hmm. And I just think families that are more um, um, established get to funnel more money towards those wealth building venues. That is true. That is true. And I'm always curious. I'm just going to have to look it up in terms of financial services and products in other countries have that I want, for example, life insurance, all those different products. How long ago did they start in comparison to here in the United States, right? So in terms of catching up where they are about the same, you know, those th- those are the type of questions that now it's got me thinking as well, because if they didn't know about it in their country, and they're not going to know to ask about that here, right? So just some right. thoughts. <laughs> yeah, Lincoln yeah. Thoughts. Or even like, Again, in in England, for example, they have the national health system, whereas here our health insurance is predominantly tied to work. So you might mm-hmm. come over and think, oh, I'll just sign up for the, and it's like, exactly. oh no. You know, like, exactly. You know, might, so it's just different. It's just different. <laughs> right. So now I'm, I'm curious, and I love how passionate you are about these things. So what was the push? Because you're basically a voice for women and money is how I see you. So what was the push to be that voice? for you? Yeah. Oh gosh. Another great question. I feel like I came out of the womb, like very interested in feminism and equality and women's rights. And that's always been something I've been very interested in. Um, I would say though, on my own financial journey, as I was becoming financially educated and kind of financially woke, realizing, oh man, all of the main voices in this community are men, older men. (laughs) And the biggest ones are saying things that just don't apply to me and that they have never, I have challenges they've never thought of and, or not even challenges. That sounds kind of almost negative. I just have situations that they've never thought of, you know, Mm -hmm. where like I'm on birth control, you know, and some older white dude has probably never thought about the cost of birth control. So he's not including it in his budget recommendations or his healthcare recommendations or what have you. And so I just saw as I was becoming educated that there weren't a lot of resources that were getting into kind of this nitty gritty detailed stuff for women. And I thought, I can do that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. (laughs) 
I want to talk about this. And again, I also think given my background, I was really aware of how white a lot of this space is. And even though I am, again, white passing, I think a lot about the intersection of race and money. And if we really are passionate about creating a more equitable and just society, we have to talk about the thornier topics. And I thought, again, like, I can do that. (laughs) (laughs) Before we jump into today's content, keep your ears peeled for a unique reveal I'll be sharing midway through the show. It's something special just for you. That's how I got here. (laughs) I love it. And obviously, you're not afraid to speak up about these issues. So I'd love to get your thoughts. We've touched up on it a little bit about the gender wage gap. Um, What do you think are some of the barriers to minimizing this gap? Because there's still a gap, right? So how I'm curious, you know, what are some of those barriers? I think this is such a layered, but such important question. There really is no one answer. It's not just women need to negotiate more. It's not, it's not that it's, we need to value the work women do more. There have been several studies that show when women become dominant in a field, the pay goes down. And that is traced directly back Mm -hmm. to the fact that we just don't value women as much as we value men. So that's like a big issue. Yeah. That we're just, we're going to have to face at some point. And also, I think on a smaller, more, what is the the personal action we can do? I do think women should get more comfortable with the idea that asking for more or being kind of the squeaky wheel is okay. I know women are very heavily socialized to want to be liked and to not rock the boat. And it can be very difficult to say that doesn't work for me or I want more in our own brains. So I think that that's something that collectively women can work on. But but also, you know, I mean, we have to know companies, when you start a company or when you're a hiring manager, you have to do your best to remove bias from that situation so that everyone is getting paid equally. So it's it's personal responsibility, but it is also systemic change. Right, right. And recently in one of the interviews that I did, she brought up a point because she does work in corporate America that it's some some companies I know in the military and government jobs, there is that pay for that position. That's it, you know, mm-hmm. so they avoid that. But then she brought up a good point of like, okay, so they're in that position and they have that pay that's no matter if you're a man, a woman, whatever, you know, you are, you are getting paid that money when it comes for a raise, when it comes for a promotion. That's when it can get sticky because then you have that human bias right? Depending on who that person is. And no matter how much of a neutral party, I mean, we're all I mean, we try to be neutral, but we're still going to have our own beliefs. And we're going to have our own opinions. And how are we really, we can't really say 100% that we're 100% neutral in whatever direction we take with that negotiation when we have that decision or that power to say yes to that increase or how much that increase in prices, right? So she brought up that point. I'm like, I never thought about that. And I'm like, you're right, because we're going to be biased. And I think the word bias, it it can almost sort of be, it feels very heavy handed. Like you Mm -hmm. might be thinking, well, like I work really hard not to be biased, but it's not so much like you're discriminating because of your bias in, in this huge, heavy way. It might just be something as simple as you go into an interview and the interviewer says, oh, where are you from? And you say, 
Montana and the interviewer is from Montana. Well, now you have a bond, right? Because like, oh, that's so funny. Like, okay. And that, that is a bias. Now that person is just like feeling more positively towards Mm -hmm. you rather than the person who walks in and says, I'm from Indiana. Mm -hmm. So it's not all bias around like race or gender or these really touchy subjects, but that is to your point, just a part of being human, you know, we're just bonded with people that have similar experiences. Right, right. So it's a touchy and tough area, whether you're, you know, even when, even when you're trying to do the right thing. So let's focus, let's narrow down the focus. So we've talked about the gender wage gap and let's talk about more specifically Latinas, because as you know, got the largest gap amongst all the groups of women. So what do you think that as a community, as us being Latinas, what do you think we should be doing to really, whether advocate, whatever, to really step up and say, we need to, or or as even as a community to really minimize? Because this year, there are so many variables as to why that happened. But the gender wage gap this year, it increased in terms of the Latinas. So Mm -hmm. yeah, and again, a very multifaceted issue. But Mm -hmm. I'll talk about kind of the two biggest things I see, which is I want more Latinas to dream bigger and to Mm -hmm. think I not just like I could be X, but I could be the the CEO of X. You know, (laughs) I think we have a culture and obviously it's very different depending on where you're from. You know, like Dominican culture is going to be very different from Argentinian culture. And I want to recognize that. But Mm -hmm. we do have this mindset of, you know, or we have this kind of history, like this machismo, you know, the man is in charge of the household. The woman maybe is subservient to that in some way. And that plays out, I think, in a lot of the ambitions that women Latinas have for themselves. We might think, I'll be a teacher, I'll be a psychologist. We don't necessarily think, I'll be a venture capitalist. I will be a doctor or something. Whereas other cultures really do push for those kinds of ambitions for their children and for themselves. So I think just understanding I can be whatever I want and there is space for me. And knowing that when we do that, we give permission to other Latinas to succeed in those fields. That's why representation is so important. The other thing that I think is so, so important (laughs) is for. Latinas to understand we are going to be paid less. Like that is the bias that we're up against. And that is the system that we're in. So do not be afraid. Like if you think you deserve 65K, ask for 80. Ask for 80. Be like really audacious with that. Because if you land at 72, oh my God, that's so much more money. And now again, you've set the bar higher for the next Latina to come because the company's like, well, yeah, now we pay 72 instead of 65. And so I guess the thesis statement of that is give yourself permission to dream bigger in both the positions and the type of money that you think you can deserve. Love that. And to your point of like allowing us to, ourselves to dream bigger, I think that's definitely important. And I think with what you're doing, what I'm doing, and I'm seeing more Latinas slowly, but come up in the personal finance space. I think that's going to make a huge difference as more and more Latinas uh, step up to that role, just because we tend to look for people like us, right? We definitely Mm -hmm. tend to look for people like us. And also, if you're listening and you're, and you just heard uh, Kara say, ask for more if the, and just really assume that you're going to be paying, paid less. I think that's really, really important because things happen in life. I know I've taken the career 
menopause when I started to have children. And and those are some of the other variables as to why there's that gender wage gap, right? So there's those other mm-hmm. variables. So know ahead of time that you may make decisions to put your career on hold for whatever reason, for, for family, taking care of kids, or maybe taking a aging care of an aging parent, whatever that is. And it's good to ask for that money now because later, you know, if you take a cut in income, then you're, you're needing that money. I mean, you deserve it for yeah. sure. Oh, yeah. I often talk about that with what we do now is a gift or a curse to our future self. Mm -hmm. So you negotiating for more now, you putting in some overtime now, if you do want to take five years off, that's a gift to your future self. Instead of being stressed out about it, you're like, good thing I got all that savings. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Well, this has been fantastic. And now we're going to move on into what I call the Chisme Express. So it's gossip. And nosotras las latinas nos gusta el chisme, but this is all in positive. Gossip in English is such a negative connotation, but chisme in Spanish is just fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm going to ask you some quick questions and you don't know what even the questions, what they are. So let's talk about, you're in Austin. So what is your favorite hidden spot in Austin? Oh gosh, there is a bar called Lala's and it's Christmas decor all year round. It's oh awesome. <laughs> Love it. How about one of the things in your bucket list that you haven't done yet? I want to visit Patagonia. Okay. And something you're afraid of. That's a good one. I hate to say it, but I am afraid of spiders. Me. <laughs> I feel like it's so difficult. Oh, no. I am afraid. I have a story. I, if you listening may have already heard of the story, but I had I, I f- just really have a phobia of spiders so much so when we were PCS and we're moving from a house. We were living in a base house and it was an old house. And they said, ma'am, do you know you have uh, brown or recluse spiders? And I didn't. All this time I had been going to this old house in the basement to wash clothes and I was washing up the last of the sheets. And I kid you not, once they saw that was very like more aware of my surroundings. And I had, I said, I screamed because I had a quote unquote spider attack me, but it was really disguised as a cricket. So, yeah. <laughs> so, but anyway, so yeah, I, I, I hear you on spiders. I'm very, very afraid of them. Your best feature. Okay. I, I like, yeah, you have def- definitely very pretty eyes. And if you could choose a season that would turn into a year long season. So if you could choose fall, winter, summer, spring, which one would that be? I think fall. Okay. Love it. Well, Kara, this has been fantastic. I appreciate the time that you spent with us and sharing all that you did with us today. It was fun. Thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. It really lights me up seeing a millennial like Kara doing what she is doing to empower women, other millennials in the financial space because Honestly, we need more of that. I know there's various podcasters and women like me that are doing these things, but we need more. We definitely need more. To connect with Kara, you can go to her Instagram at We Bravely Go, and I will make sure to have that link in today's show notes. The reina of this week is Veronica, who used her credit card points to buy new clothes and shoes. And what I love about what she shared is that she was super diligent with this because she put the items in her cart, then checked the total and made sure that she removed any items to match the points she had available. 
How awesome is that? That means she didn't come out of pocket. She literally used her points to buy some clothes and shoes. Now, if you want to nominate someone who you feel should be recognized, you can submit your nomination to jenhempill.com forward slash Reina of the Week. Remember, it can be anybody and doesn't have to be a podcast listener of this show because we want to just recognize women and give them some recognition for their efforts, for their hard work, because frankly, we just need it sometimes. Sometimes we feel like we're working and working and getting nowhere. And sometimes that recognition is that push that keeps us going. Now, if you haven't already, I hope that I can ask a favor from you and I hope that you can help. Every year I do a survey to collect some demographic information about you. It will take maybe seven to 10 minutes, depending on how quickly you fill it out. And simply for submitting your answers, you will be put in a drawing for a $100 Amazon gift card. Just think that could be the instant holiday money to spend on you or a family member or a friend. To uh, really to participate in the survey, you can go to jenhempel.com forward slash podcast survey, and I will have a link in today's show notes. Next week, what is happening next week on the podcast? Well, we will be officially on break until the new year. And what exactly does this mean? It means that during the break, we will be curating some special replays. There will be no necessarily new episodes. We may throw in a mini episode or two, but it'll be, but primarily it'll be replays. It'll give you a chance to catch up on the podcast. It'll give you a chance to really prioritize how, what you want to achieve financially in the new year. Also, I recently partnered up, if you haven't heard, with Himalaya, which is a podcast listening app uh, that I have loved, not only the app, but the team behind it. And if you aren't already, just be sure to listen to this podcast on the Himalaya app. It's free and you can use this link, himalaya.com forward slash dinero. What is cool is that you can create your playlist. And I want you to think about this. If you can create playlists, if you're focused on really using a budget, you can search the episodes that are on budgeting of this podcast or other podcasts that talk about budgeting. And you can create a playlist around that, which is amazing. So that way you're not listening to all sorts of podcasts on finances, but you're listening solely focused on what you're needing to focus on. For example, the budgeting that I mentioned. And all the other fun thing is it gives you recommendations of podcasts for you based on your interests, which is so awesome. I will also be hanging out in there with a new addition to this podcast called The Cafecito Lounge. It is just $7.99 per month. And by joining The Cafecito Lounge, which is only found on the Himalaya app, you will have access to open office hours to ask me your pressing money questions. There'll be a deeper discussion on the latest episode, as well as you will have access to participate in her monthly money challenges. It's going to be a lot of fun. You also get to try the Cafecito Lounge for a test run, for a trial run for free for 30 days, just using the code DINERO. Again, to download the app, just go use himalaya.com forward slash DINERO so they know I sent you and use the code DINERO to get a free trial run 
of my Cafecito Lounge. That is a wrap for today. I want to thank Kara for joining us, for sharing all that she shared. She's really an inspiration. Be sure to check out the show notes on where to find Kara at jenhempill.com forward slash 198. Don't forget, if you love this episode or this podcast, it would mean the absolute world to me if you share it with a friend, family member, coworker, or even a stranger. Nunca se sabe. You never know when someone is in pain in their financial life. And just the sheer sharing of this podcast or episode may be the push or inspiration they need to move forward. Until then, stay consistent on those money actions and habits so you can not only be the reina of your money, but love your dinero more. You've got this. Tu puedes. And I'll see you next Thursday in the replays. I will talk to you next Thursday. Ciao.